Let the children of God say amen. amen. Let the children of God say amen again. All praises, honor, and glory go to God the Father, to his Son, Jesus the Christ, the head of the living church. And lastly, to the Holy Spirit who continually comforts us all. How blessed are we to be the children of God and to have a Father, though we were not born from him, we were born into him, and he decided to adopt us as sons. There's no type of parenting that is more precious than that of adoption. Especially when you give me an inheritance as if I was your firstborn son. God is to be praised. It's a blessing when a church has parking problems. That means that there's someone who wants to hear if there's any word from the Lord. The irony is everyone parked outside and they came in here and parked all in the same section. Say amen when you can. There's something special going on over there because everybody's packed in over there, but God is still good on this morning. I'm thankful for safe traveling grace to Florida and back. Uh, The conference was full of good content that prayerfully this brotherhood will be able to glean from as we teach our preachers, which means ultimately we're teaching our memberships uh, how to fight for the cause of Christ. Uh, Ironically, it was cold in Florida for four of the five days. Uh, So that means I was there strictly for work. Uh, But God is still a good God. We're thankful to Ethan Williams who took care and charge of the pulpit on last Sunday evening. And if perchance you want uh, to hear uh, what I displayed on Monday night. Uh, we'll offer the CDs from Fort Lauderdale for free uh, in the back after the services if you're interested in such a thing. Uh, we want to remind the Gray Road Church in a few weeks, uh, Friends and Family Day Super Sunday is coming. Uh, Gloria has done an excellent job in printing out several of the flyers and postcards. Please avail yourself to these things and go and meet somebody and greet somebody and tell them to come with me. You have your friends go with you everywhere else. Hello, somebody. As I look on Facebook, you take them everywhere you go. Uh, You might as well take them to the house of the Lord, thus giving them a gift that will help them not only in this life, but also in the next. Our heart is grieving on this week uh, because of the passing Brother Reginald Head. Brother Head was a pillar of this church and a pillar also in our community and in our overall brotherhood, and specifically even for Southwestern Christian College. His impact has been felt locally as well as nationally. As is on the screen behind me, we'll be honoring his life and his legacy. This Thursday, I believe the wake is at 11 and the services are at 12 noon. We pray that if you are available, that you will come and you will lift up the family of this great man of God. Uh, Also, we are in respect to Donna. Uh, John Ebron is also in hospice care as we currently sit here in these pews, which means that there are members of our family who are hurting. We come to praise God but we remember those amongst us who are currently in pain. 
Meet me, if you will, in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. As you're turning there, if you're visiting with us this morning, we want you to know that you are our honored guest. Prayerfully, something will be said today which will make you ask the question, your mind of minds and heart of hearts, what must I do to be saved? Philippians chapter 4. For contextual sake, we'll begin there in the fourth verse. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 4. When you find yourself there, let us be standing for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Philippians chapter 4, beginning there in the fourth verse. Paul is speaking to that generous church at Philippi. And here, he records these very words. Rejoice. Where? In the Lord, how often, always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? Because the Lord is near. Do not worry. Do not fret. Do not be anxious about anything. What do I do, Paul? But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. What's going to happen, Paul? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen to verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. If you have some time this morning, I want to speak from the thought, it ain't that bad. It ain't that bad. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Let's go to God in prayer. Dearly kind and gracious Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you have done and all that you are doing right now in our very lives. Father, this time be with everyone under the sound of my voice, Father. Open their minds, their hearts, their spirits, their souls, and yes, even their ears to hear a word coming straight from you via your manservant. Father, this time be with your manservant, Father. I pray right now that you move me out of the way and take over. Take over my mind, take over my mouth, take over this lesson, take over this room. Father, let everything that's about to be done be done for your glory and for the change and transformation of your people. Father, I'm not worthy to stand here, but Father, I pray that all that is within me, I'm able to do your service right now. Father, not my own thoughts or philosophies or ideology. Father, let your word be true and every man alive. Father, forgive me of my personal sin. Speak to me. Speak through me. Make us all strong. Father, bless the word. Father, bless your manservant. 
Father, bless us all as your children. All these things we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. It ain't that bad. As we look at part four of five of our message series entitled Under Construction, we have come to the point as to where we have already committed to rebuilding our lives. In rebuilding our lives, we have committed to laying the right foundation and structuring the appropriate framing. Now on this morning, it's time for us to lay in place the most crucial element of our physical and spiritual house, and that is the root. And I submit to you that on this morning, that the roof to our spiritual dwelling is the peace of the Almighty God. And it's this morning that we will investigate and applicate the peace of God into our very lives. Just as it is in home and commercial construction, the roof, though not foundational, is quite fundamental. As it is, the roof that insulates, protects, and safeguards the inside from the outside. Oh, some of y'all not ready for this word this morning. As it is, the roof that insulates, protects, and safeguards the inside from the outside. For it is the roof of God, or the peace from God, that allows me protection even when my world is raining down around me. It's the peace of God that allows me warmth in the midst of a cold world. It's the peace of God that allows me to stay still even when the tempest of life is raging. I don't know about you, but somebody who has enjoyed the insulation of God should be praising God for the peace of God in their lives. Someone who has enjoyed the protection of God should be praising God for the peace of God in their lives. When you can find joy in the midst of jealousy, that's God's peace. When you can find tranquility in the midst of terror, that's God's peace. When you can find serenity in the midst of a storm, that's God's peace. And it's because of God's peace in our lives that no matter what we go through, we can look at it and say, it's not that bad. If Jesus has been a hedge in your life, then whatever you're going through right now, it ain't that bad. If Jesus has been a fence in your life, then you can look at whatever you're going through and say, you know what, it ain't that bad. I need a grandmom in here who can remember Jesus be a fence all around me every day. Jesus, I want you to protect me as I travel along the way. I know you can, yes, Lord. I know you will, yes, Lord. Fight my battles if I just keep still. Jesus, be a fence all around me every day. Oh, if I had just a little bit of time, and don't start clock watching me already. I got some travel to do. I, I want to focus this text 
around three fundamental building blocks. And those building blocks are prayer, peace, and positivity. Uh, let, let's have some class participation. The, our building blocks say after me, prayer. prayer. Let's try it again, prayer. prayer. Let's try it again, prayer. prayer. Peace, peace and positivity. Prayer, prayer. Peace, peace and positivity. Philippians 4 begins in verse number 4 with the phrase rejoice. I say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in whom? The Lord. How often? Always. Can I park here for a little while? Rejoice, the Greek term denotes that rejoicing is characterized by being glad and joyful. Also, this term speaks to the source from which one derives one's pleasure. Paul here is talking about an attribute that doesn't change or sway in the wind. He's talking about joy. He's talking about something that emanates from the inside and projects on the outside. He's talking about joy. Well, couldn't he be talking about happiness? Well, understand. Happiness, though it may project on the outside, it doesn't always have roots on the inside. Because someone can look happy outwardly and once you look on the inside of their life, the inside of their situation, and the inside of their marriage, it's full of dead men's bones. Oh, if I can go to Motown, it was Smokey Robinson who said, now if there's a smile on my face, it's only there trying to fool the public. I wish I had somebody besides Herschel who remembers Smokey Robinson. Paul here is speaking of something that can't be faked, forged, or fraudulent. And he encourages us to give honor to God through an avenue provided by God. And it's God who gives us joy. And from us, he expects joy. Even in the face of all of life's challenges and obstacles. You might can't always be happy, but every child of God should always have joy. Somebody ought to learn how to rejoice. Rejoice where, Paul? In the Lord. Don't just have joy, but remember the source. Remember the source. Remember the source from which all joy flows. Paul encourages us to put our joy and rejoicing in the right place. Meaning when things look down, just look up. If you can't find happiness on your job, if you can't find happiness in your marriage, then somebody ought to be able to find joy in Jesus Christ. Rejoice where? In the Lord. How often, Jeremy? Always. What you're trying to say, Paul, regardless of what you go through, find your joy, find your drive, find your ambition in the Lord. 
notice before the author talks about worry, anxiety, prayer, petition, thanksgiving, or positivity, he starts by imploring us to rejoice. No matter who you are or what you are going through, it ain't that bad. Always be found rejoicing. Rejoicing helps us to see the good in our bad, the positivity in our negativity, and the future in our past. I wish I had somebody at Gray Road on this morning. What are you trying to say, Paul? Meaning, if you can't rejoice for what is, then rejoice for what was. Because it was what was that allows right now to be. And if you can't rejoice for what is or what was, then rejoice for what will be because the future for the faithful child of God is always bright. The reason I can tell you it's not all that bad is because everything that has happened and everything that is happening is happening for a reason. Give me some script with that lip. Come here, Paul, and talk to the Romans. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 28, and we know that all things work together for what? Good for them that love the Lord and for them that were called according to his purpose. The good stuff is for good. The bad stuff is for good. The indifferent stuff is for good. The fake stuff is for good. The haters is for good. The pain is for good. The death is for good. The financial difficulty is for good. The marital difficulty is for good. I serve a God that can take anything and make it good. As spiritual people, because that's who we're trying to be this year, as spiritual people, we must see the good in bad things. Because we believe that all things work for the good. Meaning that we may see bad things, but we don't see things badly. We should always be rejoicing. Because what we see as bad, God can take our burden and make it our biggest blessing. When you thought you were out, God says, now that you're in. When you thought it was over, God said, it's just beginning. When you felt shame, God said, I'm going to take your shame and make it your salvation. If we can find no other reason to rejoice, we need to rejoice because the Lord is good. And he is good even when we're bad. And he is good even when things look bad. Notice that part of rejoice is joy. Always keep your joy. Well, see, I, I don't go to church no more uh, because so-and-so made me mad. Always keep your joy. Well, I quit that job because I got tired of how the boss was talking to me. Always keep your joy. Well, I got tired of fighting with my wife, so I decided to get divorced. Always keep your joy. Don't let nobody take away your joy. 
Happiness is not sufficient, not guaranteed in our Christian journey because all too often happiness is caught up in circumstance. The old preacher would say happiness is too often caught up in happenings. I'm happy as long as I'm employed. I'm happy as long as I'm in a relationship. I'm happy as long as I make a certain amount of money. But my joy, which brings forth my rejoicing, ought to be an everlasting condition. Oh, and there's somebody quiet in here because you know tomorrow, if you lost what brings you happiness, you couldn't find your joy. Because somewhere along the way, you mortgage your joy for a little bit of happiness. But somebody at the base root, fundamental, foundational character of your person, you ought to still have joy. And when you have joy, that means that you don't change even when the circumstances do. You love everybody as long as you got money. But you don't know how to, how to cope in the unemployment line. And you go down to the unemployment office. Okay, you ever been down to the unemployment office? Am I talking to somebody who's ever filed unemployment? Oh, I wish I had a church in here. You go down to the unemployment line, and you ask folks how you doing, and everybody got a sad story. It's sad that all these folks have lost their happiness, and then they can't find their joy. But have you ever been down to the unemployment line as a child of God? And you say, well, you know what? I ain't happy right now. Let's be real. We ain't always happy. I'm not always happy. Hello? Well, I'm in a happy marriage. Hello, somebody? Sometimes. Sometimes you say, I'm in this thing for joy. Say amen when you can. How's your marriage? It's God ordained. Say amen when you can. Somebody, the unemployment law should be saying, you know what, I ain't happy right now, but I still have joy. They might have taken my money, but they didn't take my health, they didn't take my self-esteem, they didn't take my love, they didn't take my love, they didn't take my joy. And whatever man takes away, God can bring it back, God can double it, God can triple it, that's why I have joy. Let me move on. I get too happy too soon. Say amen when you can. But my joy, you mess me up with telling. I miss Brother Head. Say amen when you can. Fix it. But my joy, which brings forth rejoicing, is an everlasting condition. His sacrifice on Calvary gave me joy. Forgiving me even when I couldn't forgive myself. That brought me joy. Him being there for me time after time to rescue me, even though I was the one who jumped off the deep end, that gives me joy. Therefore, can't nobody take my joy away from me. Happiness is an emotion and it's fleeting, but joy is a state of mind. And the devil can't take it. Your coworker can't take it. And you better not give it away. Rejoice in the Lord always, I say it again, rejoice. Jeremy, why is it important to repeat the fact 
two times because one must learn how to rejoice again in spite of many discouragements because just like discouragement won't stop, neither should the expressing of one's joy. You, I, and we need to be reminded to praise again and praise even a third time because the enemy will continuously remind you that you are in pain again and again, that you are addicted again and again, that you are a sinner again and again. So I just feel, and Paul just writes, that somebody ought to rejoice again and again. It's not enough to rejoice to gain today's victory, but your joy must be steadfast enough to declare victory for this week. Victory at your job, victory at your school, and victory in your home. One rejoice may get you through Monday, but you're going to have to rejoice again to make it to Wednesday. And you're going to have to rejoice and rejoice and rejoice again to make it to Friday. Therefore, if and when you make it back to next Sunday and you're allowed to come in this house, there ought to be some praise on your lips and thanksgiving on your tongue because worship to you is more than two songs, a prayer, juice, and a cracker. It ought to be us saying, thank you, Lord, for bringing us through the battle and giving us the victory. As I look back over my week at Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson, or Cincinnati Public Schools, or Christ Hospital, hello, somebody. As I look back over my week at the mortgage title company, or the Hamilton County Jail, or Finneytown Local Schools. I'm looking at y'all saying amen when you can. As I look back over my week, every moment, every moment might not have been happy. But it's because of joy that I fought. It's because of joy that I remain steadfast and unmovable. It's because of joy that I had faith in times of frailty. And when I felt my flame dying down and my joy running out, then I simply went back to my source. That's why it says rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. Because when I rejoice, and I rejoice again, and sometimes, ooh, if you're real with yourself, ooh, This is why you have to be more spiritual than a 45-minute sermon on Sunday. This is not enough to get you through the week. That's why you have trouble fighting the hell in your life and the demons in your life because your entire spiritual diet is 45 minutes a week. But it's when... My hope is in the Lord. My faith is in the Lord. My joy is in the Lord. My confidence and my trust is in the Lord. That I can rejoice in him. And when my flame dies down, I can go back to the source because the source is never ending and he's always there to replenish and refresh my soul. Verse 5. 
let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness here also speaks toward forbearance and patience. As Christians, we need to exude patience to others. If we're ever going to expect patience from God. Paul's narrative through this pericope is not to worry or be anxious, but learn how to wait. Learn how to be patient. And while you wait, pray. And when you pray, God will bring you peace. What does peace do, Jeremy? It protects you while you wait. And while you're being protected, you will face negativity. And Paul declares that God's protection helps you see things from a different direction while putting them in a different perspective while you still wait. Yes, you can jump the text and run down and say, well, pray to the Lord. But in order for us to succumb to prayer, we must first understand that we have to wait. Prayer, getting ahead of myself, but write this down. Prayer means that I'm putting my agenda, my wants, and my needs on hold. And through prayer, I am waiting. Therefore, I put my request on the altar of God. I ask him for direction and guidance. And then I cast all of my cares on God. You want to know why we're still dealing with some of the stuff we deal with? Some of us play Indian giver with God. We cast it out, then we call it back. We cast it out, then we call it back. Give God time to work on it. You got to learn how to wait. The Lord is near. Verse number six. We're going to park here for a while too. Verse number six. Do not worry. Some versions, do not fret. NIV, do not be anxious about anything. Anxious here presents the Greek present imperative of stop being anxious. The church at Philippi already had an anxiety problem. Paul was writing to say, you know what, stop it. Stop being anxious. The Greek also denotes that anxious as one who is troubled with many cares. I got some worriers in here. Somebody dealing with anxiety in here. If not, I just preach to myself. Troubled with many cares. Furthermore, the Greek word translated anxious or careful here in Philippians 4 and 6 means to be pulled in different directions. Have you ever noticed how you start worrying or being anxious about one particular subject matter and before long you're worried about all the derivatives that might occur from the original subject matter? Okay, okay, okay. 
Let, 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 me, let me talk to something that none of y'all know about. The subject is being broke. I don't want to point nobody else. I'm going to talk about something that none of y'all know about. The, the, the subject is being broke. You ever worried about being broke? Oh, see it. It's the 24th of the month. Somebody right now worried about being broke. Say amen. If I ask you on the 2nd, you'll say, no, preacher, I'm good. But on the 24th, wait till next Sunday. There are five Sundays this month. Somebody is worried about being broke. They ain't worried. Okay, somebody is being worried about being broke. That's the subject matter. But you ever notice you're worried about being broke, but then your mind starts pulling you another direction? And now you worry about all the derivatives that come off of the subject matter? Well, you know I'm broke. I might lose this house. What about the light bill? It's time for the water bill. I ain't budget that. What about Christmas? Hello? We're being pulled in different directions. Worry? Now we're worried about the subject matter, the derivatives, and then we start making adjustments in our mind based upon what has not even happened yet. Right now, you got money. You in next paycheck. This paycheck. And because you worried about being broke in two weeks, you wonder how you gonna pay stuff. Then you start making adjustments to pay fictionary bills on a check you ain't even got, on a situation you don't even have. Well, you know, how am I gonna pay this light bill? Well, you know what I'm gonna have to do? I guess we gotta start cooking more at home. I guess I gotta start downgrading my meals. You know something about downgrading? We're not gonna have no pork chops, we're gonna have some ground rounds. Say amen when you can. If you're in the flowers house, you say, look baby, we ain't gonna have no Alfredo, we're gonna have spaghetti. Say amen. And if we can't afford spaghetti, get you a big old can of Chef Boardee. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You, you, you say, well, look, you know what? I know, family, we've been enjoying Walmart these last three weeks, but we're going to go to Aldi this last week. We're going to make this stretch. You, you, you start downgrading because your worry and your satanic worry has you put in all kind of different directions. Worry pulls us in many directions. Our wants pull us in one direction, and our worry pulls us in the opposite direction. And if we don't deal with our worry and anxiety, we will be torn apart. The old English root from which we get our word worry means to strangle. Not only will worry pull you in all type of different directions, worried about stuff you don't even have to worry about yet, it will choke the life out of you. It will choke the life out of you by focusing you on your death, even while you're yet still breathing. Lastly, worry is equated 
to tormenting oneself or suffering from disturbing thoughts. Not only will worry and anxiety distract you spiritually, it will also affect you physically. You have worried yourself into a panic attack, into headaches, neck pains, ulcer, and back pains. Got to tell you something? All worry is not about money. There's some folk who got all the money in the world, but yet all the cares in the world. And that's why we see superstars and actors committing suicide daily. It's not because of lack of money. It's because of lack of faith. And where there's an absence of faith, there'll always be a proliferation of worry. When I worry, it's because I've left God and consulted me. I, I, I'm in the hospital. I don't know if this is going to get better. I, I, I've left God. And I started consulting me. I'm looking at how I look and how I feel and how I'm progressing. When God says, I already hold the chart, what you worried about? We worry about the past and the future, our children and our parents. And while joy and praise is the Lord's fortress, worry and anxiety is the devil's playground. Because from a spiritual point of view, worry is the wrong thinking and anxiety is the wrong feeling. And if you worry and fret long enough, you'll start making wrong choices based upon your wrong thinking and wrong feeling. And that's why the devil wants us to have unnecessary fear and anxiety. Because when we are then unspiritual, then we make moves and choices based upon our perception versus based upon our protection. You ever made a desperate decision? that you didn't have to make, but you made it because you couldn't wait. God says, I don't want you to be desperate, but worryful people are desperate people. You made a choice based upon your perception, how you saw it, versus my protection, the peace of God. Had you waited on me, trusted in me, put your confidence in me, you would have made a different decision. But because you couldn't wait, you in that marriage, you can't stand. Because you couldn't wait, you in that car, you can't afford. Because you didn't wait, you on that job that you about to get fired every day. And because you were worried, you jump at the first thing. Oh, I wish I could expound upon that. Our perception says all hope is lost. 
Therefore, we make moves of desperation as to where our protection says, be still. Our perception says, you got to do something. Worry is the greatest thief of joy. And the sad thing is that the greatest thief of all, the devil, is still giving us grief, worry, and anxiety around the same stuff that Jesus already told us not to worry about. For it was in Matthew chapter 6, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told them, do not worry. Don't worry about physical attributes. Don't worry about clothing. Don't worry about food and drink. Don't worry about the future. And what do we do? Worry about the very things that Christ told us not to worry about. And even today, we allow worry to get the best of us. One of the reasons that we worry is because we are too particular. It's quiet in here today. One of the reasons that Jeremy worries is because sometimes he can be too particular. And then we confuse a want with a need. And because we think we need what we want, we then get great anxiety when what we want does not communicate to what we need. You don't need a five-bedroom house to be happy. You don't need granite countertops crown molding to be happy. Hello, somebody? It's amazing that the greatest happiness we could ever remember is the happiness we had as a child. You know why we were happy as a child? Because that was before somebody told us what we needed is what we wanted. As a child, we were happy because all we had is what we had. You didn't even know you were poor until you grew up. You saw nothing wrong with jungle juice and Kool-Aid till you grew up. Hello? And the devil had an opportunity to work on your mind. Baloney was just as good. When you are a child, if I tell somebody to go fry some bologna, you'll look at me with some indignation today and say, I'm too good for fried bologna. Because we have forgotten what really brings forth joy. Hello? I, I, I was teasing, I was teasing the parents yesterday. Uh, when we had uh, all of the little children at church, we invited them to come, and, and we were there for Jeremy and Joshua's birthday, and my wife 
got this place run, jump, and play. I don't, even, I, don't, I don't know where it was. I don't know how much it costs. I don't want to look at the bank account. Say amen when you can. And, and, and I was thinking to myself, remember when I was a child in the ghetto? We didn't have these elaborate parties. And I don't even think the kid cares about the party. It's an adult thing. See, I remember when you could take your kids to McDonald's and they had a play place. Everybody got a cheeseburger and some fries. That's back when Grimace was in a costume. He'll sit there and smile with you. You play on the play place until somebody used the bathroom in the play place. Then the party was over. Y'all remember that? When Ronald McDonald will come to McDonald's. I wish I had somebody in there. Whole party was $40. And you played with your friends and whoever else came to McDonald's at the same time. But see, but see, that's the difference between joy and happiness. Joy is what's inside. Happiness is what we project outside. Sometimes we want other people to see how happy we think we are. Nothing wrong with a Mercedes. But if you go buy a Mercedes to get happiness, it's not for you. You had that same joy in that Ford Fiesta. That happens so everybody else can think that you're happy. That's why Paul says, you better change your thought pattern. You better learn how to be spiritual. It's not about being happy. It's about being joyful. And joyful emanates from within. You don't have to have nothing in order to have joy. Well, well I got to have this five bedroom particular community in this particular township. Don't you know? Is that, is that for you, everybody else? This ain't in my lesson, but it feel good right here. Some of us are living lives for other people. Stop it! Hello? Nothing wrong with a big house. But, but I had joy when I grew up in a one-bedroom. Boy, I thought I was living when we got two bedrooms, oh, we were doing it then. Then I got married to Tamika. I said, we're going to have two bedrooms and two bathrooms. I thought I was doing something. After a while, made a little bit of money. I said, I'm going to upgrade you. We're going to get three bedrooms. Might even get a second story now. Now as I sit in four bedrooms, my joy hasn't changed. It's the same joy I had with one bedroom. The joy you have wearing Goodwill clothes, same joy you have wearing designer clothes. But if you feel a certain way because you can't wear designer, you have a problem. You have a happiness problem, and since you have no joy, you are now emotionally and spiritually bankrupt. Move on, preacher. I think I will. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by, meaning what? This is what drives. By. This is the cure. I told you the sickness, worry, and anxiety. This is the cure. By prayer. 
Mm. Let's go back. But in any situation, or but in everything, by prayer. Prayer is a general word for making requests to the Lord. It carries forth the adoration, the idea of adoration, devotion, and worship. Whenever we find ourselves worrying, our first action ought to be to want to get alone and worship God. The devil's goal is to keep us entrapped in our present as to where worship helps us reflect on our past and hope toward our future. And it's when we seek our help from our help that he helps us to see that wherever we're going through right now, it ain't that bad. It's just a necessary stair to get us to the next land. Prayer reminds me to call upon the Lord. And while I should pray to him all of the time, I should especially call out to him in times of trouble. Though my friends love me, there's nothing like calling my father. Though my spouse loves me, there's nothing like calling my father. Though my mama loves me, there's nothing like calling my father. Even in our humanity and carnality, when trouble strikes and fear and intrepidation set in, somebody got to call their dad. Oh, if I had time, I would tell you about my insomniac children and how they never want to go to sleep at night. When it's time to go to bed, I wish I had a witness in here. When it's time to go to bed, CJ, when it's time to go to bed, Michelle, when it's time to go to bed, whoever your child's name is. They scream and holler, Mama, Mama, Mama. After a while, she go in there and say, what? I know y'all were sending a much gentler answer from the minister's wife, but you ain't get that. What? I want some water. I want a toy. Turn the lights. They don't ever call me. That's what she says. How come they never call you? It's 11 o'clock and they never call you. But when they're scared of something, Daddy! something's in the corner. I had a bad dream. There's a werewolf in the house. Shoot it. No, anyway, no, no, no. What he says. Now, now. But the same thing should happen when we're afraid in our lives. When we don't know what's around the corner. When we don't know what's lurking in the dark. When we don't know what's at work tomorrow, what's at school tomorrow. Somebody always saying, Father, Father, I'm scared. 
Father, I'm nervous. Father, they're plotting on me. Father, they're sending out emails. Father, they're lying on your child. Father, I'm scared of being bullied in school. Somebody ought to be able to call out to God. You see, when you pray, there's some ingredients. You have petition, meaning ask me, share with me. You talk to everybody else. It's time you talk to me. You share your future with everybody else. How about you share your future with me? But then every blessing that you have, you want to bring up to me in prayer. But don't just ask me for stuff, because I'm more than a genie. But come to me with some thanksgiving. Praise me for what I have done. Thank me for what I brought you from. And really it's when we give God thanksgiving that it brings clarity to our prayer. You, you, have, see, you ever had something, you didn't want to ask God about it, you thought it was too tough or too big or, or, or too scary? Flip your prayer around. Start off by thanking God for all that he's done. And when you get done, you'll say, you know what? I can ask you for anything. Because all the stuff I just listed, if you did that, present your request to God. Verse 7. I bring more clarity to that tonight. When you pray to me, I then have the power to give you peace. Verse 7 says, and the peace of God. Don't you want the peace of God? What does it do? It transcends all understanding. And what will it do? It'll guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What is peace, Jeremy? Peace defined is hmm, exemption from the rage and havoc of war. Which means even though the war is still raging, trouble is still going on, it's the peace of God that exempts me and releases me from the burden of the battle. The peace of God is incomparable, and it's specifically from God. The peace is greater than the peace you receive from a full-body massage. This peace is greater than the peace you have after you come back from a vacation. Why? Because on vacation, you're allowed to get away from what ails you. But with the peace of God, not only are you allowed to get away from what ails you, but you're allowed to give away what ails you. Well, 1 Peter 5 and 7 reminds us, cast what? All your cares upon him. That's the peace of God. You know why folk got problems praying and got folk got folk problems worrying and full of anxiety? They have not yet tried and tested the peace of God. It's the peace of God that allows to make peace with man even when man does not deserve peace. The peace of God is what? It transcends all understanding. It transcends all intellectual faculties and all humanistic reasoning. Science can't discover it. 
Academia can't pontificate it. Historians can't reconcile it. And mathematicians cannot calculate it. That's why Kiki does not understand why you have a praise on the inside that you can't keep to yourself. That's why your boss does not understand that you can find good in every situation. That's why your family is mesmerized that you keep dealing with people who you know have done you wrong before. It's because you know that no matter what happens to you, you have a shelter that's impenetrable, a hope that's unshakable, a conviction that's immovable. You have the peace of God, and when man doesn't understand it, then you know it came from God. God says, let's land this thing. God says, my peace is incomprehensible to man because I don't just do the easy thing. It'll be easy for me to come in and separate you from your burdens, but rather I secure you in the midst of your burdens. I keep you in place in your storm, in your trial. Just to prove that I don't have to remove you from your storm, I can just be your shelter in a time of storm. I don't have to vanquish every weapon. I just have to make sure that every weapon formed against you won't prosper. I leave you in the ocean so you will recognize that I am a lifeguard and I'm the lifesaver. Thus bring it to life. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. We turn the other cheek when man strikes us because we have the peace of God. We are nonviolent and unrevengeful because we have the peace of God. Man doesn't understand how you can hold your composure it's because I have the peace of God. The same peace Joseph had when his backstabbing brothers came back. And he said, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good and for the saving of lives. How, Jeremy, can you be so sure when it's raining all around you? It's because I have the umbrella that I call the peace of God. How can you stand firm? When the storm is raging, it's because I have the peace of God. God doesn't have to change my situation. He just has to change my perspective. Now I can go in the midst of a bad thing, see a good thing, because I have the peace of God. I can go in the battle and not get a scratch. I can go in the work and not get laid off. It's because I have the peace of God. I will let him talk to me like that. Don't worry about it. I got the peace of God. How much longer are you going to deal with that? Don't worry about it. I got the peace of God. C can I show you one more thing? I, I promise you I'm done. I promise you. I, I got to show it to you now because you ain't coming tonight. Say amen when you can. So, so I'm going to show it to you and those who come back tonight, I'll explain it to you. Is that all right? It's because I pray that I then get peace. It's because I'm at peace that I then can have and exude positivity. That's verse 8. Whatever is loving, whatever is peaceful, whatever is kind. Think on these things. I pray 
that I, me, you, and we can drive a stake in the heart of the vampire at Gray Road. Because it's time that we learn how to be positive. We got some folk, and we're praying for them. We got some folk who are the most negative creatures. The greatest killer is negativity. Hello? Well, well, we got all this potential. Yeah, but you, you holding the detonator the whole time. Because of negativity. Well, they ain't going to do no better. That ain't going to change. They not going to change. You will kill yourself with negativity. You better learn how to love. You got Well, how do you stop negativity? It starts with you. Well, I ain't saying nothing, but you listen to something. Gossipers can't gossip. They ain't got nobody to gossip to. Cacklers can't cackle. They ain't got nobody to cackle to. But every time you pick up the phone, hello? You better think positive. It's time for somebody to say, you know what? I love my church. Hello? When's the last time you said that? I love my brothers. I love my sisters. I love my leaders. I love my preacher. Well, if you ain't perfect, you ain't perfect. Love has nothing to do with perfection. It has to do with perspective. How do you know that? Give me some script. Come here, John. John 3, 16. For God so what? Love who? The world. They weren't perfect, but God had a different perspective. I can save them. Therefore, I love them. Romans 5, 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for who? The ungodly. Who was it because they were perfect? I saw from a different perspective. But see, I understand, which is why I don't get mad when people aren't positive. It's because they don't have peace. They don't have peace because they don't pray. Because they don't pray, they always worry. It's a vicious cycle. Whatever you're going through right now, it ain't that bad. Now, I know we got different circumstances. Somebody has health issues or money issues or marital issues or any other type of issues, but it ain't that bad. As long as you can put the peace of God into your situation, God will give you the strength to stand up under whatever is going on. That does not mean he's going to remove you out of it. But it could be raining and you won't get wet. There could be fire and you not get burned. Because you got the peace of God. How do you deal with your spouse passing away? Because I've come to peace. How do you deal with your job playing out? I've come to peace. How do you deal with fake people and landlords? Because I've come to peace. God don't have to move me to prove that he can make me. Somebody ought to have the strength and the excitement to walk out of here and say, you know what? I'm not what I've been through. Yeah, I'm going through it, but it ain't that bad. Next time your doctor says, how are you doing? I ain't that bad. 
How's it on your job? It ain't that bad. Why? Because I've learned the peace of God. When peace runs out, I still got prayer. And because I'm prayerful and because I'm peaceful, I can't think nothing else but positivity, even to those who want to bring negativity. Let's be standing and not singing. Let's be standing and not singing. I better stop. I better stop. I better stop. Mm, I better stop. Y'all just don't know. Y'all just... If you think the sermon works on you for one hour, it works on me for 20. There's so much to share. I love God's word, but there's so much to share. And, and why you preach so hard? Why you preach so long? Because somebody needs to leave here knowing it ain't that bad. And just because it's not you this week, there will come a time in your life when you say, I wish flowers would preach forever. I need this. Hello? It ain't that bad. It ain't that bad. If you are a child of God this morning, and you're going through it right now, it's in your face. It's at your house, in your car. It's racking your bones. I need you to know, it's going to be all right. Hold on. Change is coming. It ain't that bad. But what do I need to do right now while I feel it's bad? You need to come to Jesus. And say, Lord, I'm to you. I'm thankful for what you've done. And I have one petition. Not that you give me money. Not that you give me riches. Not that you give me a new house. I just want your peace in my life. Lisa, you ever prayed for God's peace in your life? We pray so much for things we can touch. Things we can hold. Things we can show off. You want to show off something? Show off the peace of God in your life. Lord, I want to say a lot, but I'm crying right now. So just give me peace. You want some peace this morning? It's closer than you think. When you walk down these aisles and say, Lord, just give me peace. I don't want everybody in my business. Just write on your card. Lord, give me peace. He'll give you what you need for what you need it for. If perchance you lived a sinful life this week, brought the church to an open shame, live beneath the way that you know you were raised, when you come to Christ and say, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me my sins. Perhaps you're waiting on an important decision in your life, and you're waiting for somebody to give you good news. You got the peace of God in your life. They tell you, no, it's all right. Because God will tell you yes. If perchance you are not a child of God, you're here this morning, you're not a baptized believer, you want a new way, you want a transformation, you want a difference, it can happen here this morning. You don't have to continue being who you've been. You don't have to continue living as you have lived. You can come to Christ right now, and last time I read 2 Corinthians, he who is in Christ is a new creature. You owe all things have passed away, and all things have become new. You can be new today. You can change. You can be different. What must I do? You must hear the word of God. You already heard me. You're you already halfway there. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Say yes or no question. You can answer yes to that question. You can start walking down these aisles now. We'll baptize you right now for the remission of your sins, meaning what? He will cancel away. 
all that you have done. He'll start you over again, pure and made new. Born again, though you are old. Must hear the word of God. Believe, repent of your sins, meaning, well, I don't want to do that no more. Confess them to be Lord, Savior in Christ. Be baptized for the mission of your sins. Live faithful unto death. But there's only one question on the floor. For the one who's not a child of God, I don't care if you're 14, 44, 84, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? If you believe, don't dare leave here and not be in a right relationship with God. Because just because you said in your mind that you believe, if you don't follow through and act on that belief, you could be damned because of your disbelief. And if the world were the end tonight, I don't want to sit there saying I had a chance, but I didn't take the opportunity. Do it now while there's blood still running in your veins. If you're not a child of God, will you come? If you are a child of God and you're worried, you're stressed, you're anxious, will you come and get the peace of God? Will you come and get the joy of God that will carry you this week, this month, this year, this life, and into the next. It's prayer time. It's changing time. It's transformation time. Don't leave here the same way you came. Do something different. Make that walk. Make that change right now as we sing the song of invitation. Careless.